0: Uh, it is our regular practice to preach through uh, books of the Bible, uh, and it's one of the ways that we want to honor God's Word by letting God's Word set the agenda, and so sometimes we come to passages and we're just like, you know, I, I, I would not choose to necessarily preach on this passage, but here it is, it's in God's Word, and we've got to deal with it. So if you have uh, your copy of the Scriptures, you can turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, and I'm going to read from us starting in verse 13. You guys, you guys with me? We good? All right. Amen. All right. Listen as I read God's word. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Uh, This is God's word. Would you pray with me? Lord, Uh, we we pray that you would uh, settle our hearts on you now. Uh, There are uh, many things that uh, could potentially distract us and and call our attention away from considering your word. Um, We know that your enemy is at work to steal, kill, and destroy, Uh, that as your word is sown uh, the enemy swoops in and, and, and plucks up seeds. And we pray that by your spirit, you would keep that from happening this morning, uh, that your word would be sown upon, upon fertile soil, that it would take root and bear the good fruit of faith. Lord, we pray that you would uh, nourish your people this morning. Uh, we pray uh, that Christ would be exalted. And we know this is not uh, something that that is within our power to do in and of ourselves, but you must work in our hearts. Uh, We come dull, we come sluggish, we come uh, distracted. Uh, Lord, we pray now that uh, what would be central in our minds and hearts is your glory. Lord, we know that uh, in this endeavor, the flesh is of no help at all, and that it is your spirit that gives life. So we pray that you would do that now graciously in our lives, nourish your people, feed us, show us again a great Savior in our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. Well, many of you may know, some of you may not know, uh, that before I was a full-time pastor, I taught history at Bishop Eustace Prep School. Uh, And the school had a slogan that they put on, my dad's laughing because he also worked there for a time, uh, they had a slogan that uh, they put on all of their teachers. is a Latin phrase, uh, quad deus volt. Any any Latin uh, people here? Quad deus volt. It It means what God wills. And uh, it's a phrase taken from the Crusades, the, the uh, mascot of the Bishop's Prep School were the Crusaders. So they have this phrase taken from this, the, the Crusades. It's a phrase that was first uttered by Pope Urban II in the 11th century to justify taking up the sword against Muslims in an effort to retake the Holy Land of Jerusalem. During this period, it was believed that faithful Christians had to utilize and harness the military might of the government to spread God's kingdom by forcefully conquering and killing people who did not confess Jesus as Lord. And so what enabled the crusaders or, or what uh, allowed the crusaders to justify their, their violent conquest was a belief that it was God's will. They would utter, quad deus volt, deus volt, God wills it. Now, uh, that sounds so far away from us, right? That's like a, you know, back in the annals of history, it barely registers as real. But many Christians in this uh, country, maybe even some of us this morning, uh, are not so different, at least in principle. No one's taking up swords. However, there can be a triumphalistic, conquering, crusader-like spirit that thinks, if we could just get the right person in office, then we could really take this country for Jesus. Or if we could just elect a president or get enough Supreme Court justices or or get a different governor or better local leaders, then we would really see a difference. If we could just harness the American government for our goals and our ends, we could really turn this country around and make it a truly Christian nation. We might say to ourselves, God wills it. God's will? It provokes a very interesting and important question for us, and especially on the heels of an election recently in November, and in the uh, anticipation of an upcoming uh, electoral, uh, a presidential election in 2024, uh, the question is this. What is God's will for how Christians should relate to the government? What is God's will for how Christians should relate to the government? What should our posture before the government be? Should Christians look at the government as an enemy to be resisted? We saw some of that in 2020, right? Maybe even still seeing some of that. The government is an enemy to be resisted. Uh, Or maybe we should think of the government as a force to again be harnessed by the church. A sword to be wielded to accomplish our goals. Maybe the government is just a nuisance to be ignored and disregarded. I imagine uh, for many of you, how you relate to the government is not something you think about. It might not even be something you want to think about. I read my wife this introduction. I was like, hey, how do you think this introduction is? Like, does it make you want to listen to the rest of the sermon? And she's like, honestly, I just don't think about, like, I don't really want to think about the government. And so, listen, here's the thing. Here it is in the Bible. Right? All of God's word is profitable. Amen? It's all breathed out by God, profitable for teaching and instruction and reproof. Reproof, it's, I don't know what reproof is. It's not a thing. Reproof. Uh, It is God's word and it is profitable for us. And so we ought to give our attention to it. So here is God's word. And so we must ask ourselves what truly is God's will for his people and how they relate to the governing authorities. Now, let me take you back into this letter itself, the context of this letter. Peter's writing to Christians who, as we have seen, as I have told you, are experiencing suffering at the hands of an unjust government, which is at best ignoring their persecution and at worst actively participating in it. And so this is a question. How should they relate to the government? This is a question that is very pressing on them. And as we increasingly live in a society that is antagonistic and resistant to Christianity, it's a question that presses down on us as well. How will you respond? Listen to me. Listen to these questions. How will you respond to a government that sees you as a Christian as a threat? How will you respond to a government that views the church as an obstacle to progress? How will you think and posture yourselves before the government Who may think of Christians as the scourge of modern society or treats believers as second-class citizens? What should your posture toward the governing authorities be? And to answer this question, Peter gives us uh, a what, a why, and a how. This is very creative for for me. A what, a why, and a how. Uh, The what is that we ought to submit ourselves to the governing authorities the why is to silence the ignorance of fools and the how is by serving as those who are free he gives us a what and a why and a how submit silence serve let's talk about the what what is he talking about look at verse 13 he says be subject for the lord's sake to every human institution whether it be to the emperor supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. The command of this passage is straightforward. Be subject to governing authorities. That is, submit yourself both to the emperor and to the governors. Now, of course, we don't have an emperor. Uh, What does he mean? Submit yourself to the highest authorities down to the lowest authorities. In our case, that means from the federal government down to the state government, down to local government, down to town councils, down to police officers, down to toll booth operators. Now it's important that you see this is a part of Peter's larger argument, right? If you've been around for a bit, you may remember that two weeks ago we looked at the verses that are directly uh, preceding this passage, and Peter writes this. He says uh, in verse twelve, "Keep your conduct." among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Now, we could make a million kinds of application to that principle, that we ought to keep our lives honorable, but let this land on you. Do you know what Peter's first application of this this principle is? Keep your lives honorable among the Gentiles. The first thing he says is, live lives of humble submission. You hear what I'm saying? You want to live lives that are honorable among the Gentiles? Live lives of humble submission. And really what's going to follow in this this, uh, text is a a variety of ways in which we are called to submit. We're called to submit to governing authorities. We're called to submit to our masters or our employers. Uh, Wives are called to submit to their husbands. And husbands, in an even more profound sense, are called to submit to their wives. And brothers and sisters are called to submit to one another. He says, if you want to live a life that commends Christ, that is honorable before Gentiles, that they might see your good works and glorify God on the day of visitation, live lives of humble submission. We might ask, what is the nature of this submission? And it is simply to willingly obey the governing authorities that have been placed over us. To willingly obey the governing authorities that have been placed over us. So that obviously means obeying laws, like the big obvious ones, like don't physically assault anyone. Like don't steal someone's property. Amen. Don't vandalize public buildings. But it also means uh, maybe smaller, more subtle things, like don't cheat on your taxes. Don't disregard traffic laws. This is not a small one, but I just thought, I was going to say don't shoplift. But the reason I put this in the small, that is a big thing, like, don't shoplift. But the reason I put this in the small category is, have you ever done that accidentally? <laughs> like, sometimes, like, my kids, like, it hasn't happened in a while. But, like, they walk out of the store or something, you're like, nah, I didn't pay for that. And then, and then, so what do you do? Are you like, well, you know, like, we got away with it. Or are you like, yeah, we need to go back. We need to return this. We need to make sure that we paid for it or whatever. Okay. Like, uh, don't litter. Like, don't side skirt local ordinances like maybe maybe your town prohibits parking on the street like the, the christian is called it, it's easy to be like nah forget that like i'm parking on the street why do i care you know or like maybe your town has like a local ordinance it's like hey there's no open flames you can't have a you can't have a fire without a permit and we're like no one's gonna tell me what i can do in my yard right but you know what peter says submit humbly submit to the local to the governing authorities Live excellent lives as, as the best citizens there are that, that, that you can be. But notice that his submission is not only negative. He's not only just saying, like, don't break laws. But Peter concludes, you might have noticed this. It's got like a, like a rhythm to it. At the end of this, he, he concludes with these four staccato, punchy commands, all right? It's like, honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. And do you notice two of those are honor, honor everyone, honor the emperor. So, so for Peter, part of submitting to the governing authorities is honoring them. That is honoring the title and the office. Brothers and sisters, we live in a country where you are free to criticize, to constructively criticize your government without fear of violence or retaliation. And I believe you should feel free to criticize the policies of your government. But it is, and I'm sure you've noticed this, it is one of the saddest things to me to go onto social media and see Christians go right along with the world and sink into the mud by attacking and denigrating and slandering and insulting public officials and even one another as a way to make a political point. Have you seen that on social media? where Christians are actually insulting and slandering image bearers of God. Maybe you don't agree with their policies. But Peter would say, honor. Honor everyone. Honor the emperor. Sure, go for it. Criticize the policies. But don't, don't get down in the mud and start uh, attacking people, uh, attacking their character and, and slandering them and insulting them. As Christians, we, we cannot buy into this narrative that we are justified in saying just absolutely disgusting and offensive things because, well, you know, I'm just telling it how it is. I'm just telling the truth. It might not be politically correct, but I I just tell tell it like it is. No, you're committing the sin of slander. You may disagree with a person, but you are using your words to cut down an image bearer of God. And not only is it slanderous, But it reeks of pride and arrogance and and haughtiness. And you know as well as I do, especially in the upcoming year, there will be a proliferation, an abundance of opportunities for you to join the world in spewing venom and using your words to denigrate, degrade, and insult. And God's word to us is humble yourselves. Submit to governing authorities and honor everyone, including even the emperor, in our case, the president, or our governing governing officials. Now, I can hear, almost audibly, I can hear some of you objecting. Like, but what if it's an evil government? What if it's an unjust government? What if they deserve it? Okay, let me answer that objection in two ways. First, submission... That's what he's got. That's the command. Submit, be subject. Submission implies disagreement. You realize that? Submission implies disagreement. What should be very eye opening for us is remembering what government Peter is telling these Christians to submit to. Do you, do you know who the emperor is when Peter's writing this letter? You ever heard of Nero? Nero is the famous emperor who, at one point, gathers up Christians hangs them upside down, covers them in pitch and tar, and lights them on fire to illuminate his courtyard. And Peter says, submit, honor the emperor. That's who he's writing to. And a subset of Christians in every age have believed that they are living during the time that the world is the most evil. And and, and frankly, what that shows is just historical ignorance. And I'm not saying things are not bad. am not saying we live in a golden age. But what I'm saying is Peter's writing to Christians And he's calling them to submit and honor to an unjust, corrupt, evil government in many ways. He would say, submit to them, honor them. And that means there are going to be things that you disagree with. It implies that. There are going to be things that you disagree with, but you comply and obey anyway. And and if that wasn't the case, it wouldn't be submission, right? If, if, if If you think submission is, like, listen, I'll tell you what. I will go the speed limit, As long as it is the speed that I want to go. That's not submission. You see? Right? I will follow all of your laws as long as they're laws that I like and I would like to obey. That's not submission. Submission is a willingness to obey even when you disagree. Now, Peter tells us that the function of government, you see this here in this passage, that the function of government generally is to punish evildoers and to promote good and even unjust governments generally do this. Even the Roman Empire, the Roman Empire that was corrupt and evil and godless in so many ways still curbed disorder, punished crime, protected trade, promoted peace, and generally made living a productive life possible. And so it is with our government. It's evil and corrupt and godless in many ways. And yet still there is a general sense in which it does promote good and punish evil. And so God would call us to submit. So that's the first objection, uh, or the first answer to that objection. Well, what if it's an evil government? What if it's evil? It's unjust. Well, submission implies disagreement. But here's the second um, answer. Uh, Your submission is ultimately to God. Your submission is ultimately to God. Peter writes, subject yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Notice that your submission to governing authorities, both just and unjust, is ultimately an expression of your submission to God. You submit to to them as a way of submitting to God. And and, and Paul uh, writes to Christians in Rome this very thing. He says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. It's also worth mentioning that uh, in your text, if you have the ESV, it says, uh, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. That word institution, the, the reason the translators put it there is because of what follows, because it's the emperor and the governor. But the actual word there in the original language is creature. Submit to every human creature, to the emperor as supreme and to his governing authorities. And it's a reminder again that even the authorities that God has called us to submit to are under the rule of God. They are creatures. They are creatures that are accountable to God and they are under his sovereign rule over all things. And your submission to God is what trumps all of that. It's, it's over all things. Your submission to the governing authorities is ultimately a submission to God's rule. And so you are to, to submit, to honor the emperor. You, you'll also notice um, that the, in those four like little staccato things, There is a difference. There's honor everyone, honor the emperor. But what does Peter say? He says, fear God. Fear God. You see, God God is the ultimate authority over those governing authorities. And so we render to him reverence and fear in our ultimate submission. And so you might ask, what if the government requires me? What if the government commands me or passes a law that would require me to do something that is sinful? And at this point, Peter would say to us, ultimately our submission to human authorities is subordinated under our submission to God's authority. So at the point at which the government would come and say, you must do this sinful thing, we say, no, 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 no. our ultimate authority is the Lord Jesus Christ, and you do what you will with us, come what may. A really good example of this is Daniel. You know the story of Daniel? So Daniel is brought into exile in Babylon, his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and uh, they are actually brought into the king's court to serve in his court. And so they're educated uh, with a Babylonian education, They, they learn the language, they learn the legal system, and they actually do serve very faithfully and diligently in the king's court. That is, of course, until the king comes to them by edict and decree and says, everyone needs to bow down to this golden image that I've created and worship it. And at that point, Daniel and his friends say, you're not our God. We don't owe ultimate submission to you, and so, no, we refuse. So it is with us. We we, we are called to submit to the government out of reverence for God, but if we are told to do something sinful, sinful, we remain uh, loyal to God as our ultimate king, come what may. That's the what. Okay, what su- subject yourselves to the governing authorities for the Lord's sake. But, but now Peter would ask us, well, why? Why should we do that? L- look at um, verse 15. He says, for this is the will of God that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance, the ignorance of foolish people. Uh, two, two reasons why. Here's the first reason. It's God's will. It's God's will. You see, First Peter is saying, you need to submit to the governing authorities because God tells you to. And for Christians, that should be enough. You, you, you might wonder, like, what is God's will for my life? You know, I have those conversations a lot. You know, people ask me, uh, how do I discern God's will about this thing or that? And, and, and I, I can't confidently say, you know, what God's will is for you regarding, you know, what school you should go to or what job you should apply for or who you should marry or what car you should, purpose, uh, what you should purchase. However, I can tell you this with certainty, that it is God's will that you submit and obey to the governing authorities he's placed over you. You want to know what God's will is for your life? At least in part, it is that you submit and obey to the governing authorities He's put over you, and for the Christian, this should be enough because we love God, because we trust Him. And we may not understand at times, and as I said, submission implies disagreement. We may we may be we may wonder, and God, like why would you why would you have me do this? And yet we know that God is infinitely wiser and more gracious than we can imagine, and so we submit to Him. And, and so the bottom line is that you should submit to God because he tells you to, because, or submit to governing authorities because he tells you to. And his, his counsel, his wisdom is perfect. His will is good. But second, you know, that's, that's the kind of like, you know, if, if you're parents right now, or if you've been parent, you know, you, you, you have children, you know, at a certain point, like you just say to your kids, like, hey, I like, you need to do this because I told you so. Like, you, you give some reasons, but eventually you're just like, I said so. So you got to do it. But that's not where God stops. He doesn't just leave us with like a, and I told you so. He, he he does give us a reason. Why should we submit to governing authorities? It is to silence the ignorance of foolish people. To silence the ignorance of, of, of foolish people. You have to remember that this is an application of Peter's earlier exhortation, uh, exhortation to keep our conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak evil against us, they might see our good works and ultimately glorify God when he comes. And, and you see, what is the ignorance of these people that he's talking about? To silence, the ignorance of these foolish pe- people. It is the way in which unbelievers will maliciously and carelessly attack Christians because of their lack of understanding. It is a way that they will maliciously and carelessly attack specifically with their words, speaking evil against you as a way to malign and discredit Christians. And they do this because of their lack of understanding. Uh, you know, in Peter's day. So again, rem- remember, Peter is writing to a particular audience. Uh, Peter writes to Christians. And during Peter's day, do you know what the Christians were accused of in the first century? They were called people who were spreading subversive and revolutionary ideas. They they were rebels to the Roman government. They were spreading disloyalty because they confessed Jesus as Lord over all and not the emperor as Lord over all. It was, of course, their loyalty to Jesus, however, that made them excellent citizens they were also accused this is a little bit more extreme they were also accused of cannibalism and incestuous orgies do you know that christians in the first century there's just imagine like think about the rumors that sort of spread around about christians or the, the 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 like characterizations of christians that spread around in 21st century society think about the ones that are spreading around in the first century you know those christians they're cannibals they they just get together and they they like they have unnatural sexual relationships with their, with their own family. Do you want to know why they said that? Because Christians would get together and they would eat of the body of Christ and the blood of Jesus. And, they, and 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 so people would hear that and they would go, "Oh, they're they're eating flesh. They're cannibals." Now, of course, there's you know, it's easy enough to understand and there's a malicious intent to discredit Christians. Why were they why were they accused of being incestuous and 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 and, and like, you know, uh, absolutely, like um, debaucherous sexual activity, because they called one another brother and sister, and they would marry, and they would get together, and they would celebrate what were called love feasts, which were generally like they would get together and have dinner, and it would culminate in the Lord's supper. Y- you see? Listen, it's not. I don't. I don't think Christians are generally being called cannibals at this point. But this is not that unfamiliar to us, right? Like, think about how Christians are characterized in the 21st century. They are uh, intolerant bigots. They're racists. They are religious radicals. They're hypocritical and hateful. All they care about is the patriarchy and subjugating women. And keeping their guns. The Christians hate science. They're anti education. They're politically subversive. Have you heard these things? It's, just, it's the same thing. And for many, Christianity is what's wrong with the country because it's slowing or ruining social progress. And, and so, look, here is Peter's point. He's saying we ought to live such excellent. And honorable lives that are marked by a humble submission to the governing authorities. And then all these other things that Peter's going to talk about. That when governing officials or prominent voices, you know, talk show hosts and celebrities and whoever. When they they speak against us. That our lives would be so excellent that, that all of those accusations just totally fall flat. That when people hear those accusations... They just dismiss them because they know what kind of people we as Christians really are, that we are honorable, that we are upright, that we are uh, submissive to authorities and humble and honest. Listen, when people who know you, like there are people in your life who are hearing those characterizations of Christians. And when people who know you hear those characterizations of Christians, which they inevitably will, and when they think of you as a Christian, what should happen in their minds is they should dismiss those accusations as silly, biased, prejudiced accusations that have no basis in reality because they know what kind of person you are. You see what I'm saying? In other words, your life should be so excellent and your character should be so evident that when your friends who are unbelievers, here uh, cara- Christians characterized as intolerant bigots and all of this thing, and racists and all that stuff, they think to themselves, that's ridiculous. I know Brett, and he's one of the kindest, most faithful, most hardworking people I know. I know Donna. That's not her. I, whatever, I, don't, know what you're, I don't know what kind of Christians you're talking to, because the ones I know, they're honest. They love people. I know Laura. I know, I know the way that she cares for people. I know the way, that, I know how she speaks. I know how she honors the people in her life. I might not agree with them, but our country would be better. This is what the, you know, like maybe, maybe I don't agree with, 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 my, uh, with my Christian friend, but I think the country would be better if there were more people like them. That's what should be going on in their head. And in that way, the ignorance of foolish people is silenced. The accusations fall flat. And bonus, by God's grace, some of those people will actually see your lives and your lives will so commend the transformative power of the gospel that they themselves will come to faith and glorify God on the day of visitation. How are we doing? How are you doing? What would unbelievers in your life say about you? Would you confirm or would you absolutely shatter the ignorant stereotypes that they are regularly confronted with about Christians? Like when they, when they consider you, would your life confirm those stereotypes or would they just absolutely shatter them? That's the why. Peter gives us the what: subject ourselves to governing authorities. The why: to silence the foolishness of ignorant, or uh, uh, to silence, the, silence the ignorance of foolish people. But now we come to the how. How? How might we live these lives? And Peter's answer is by serving as those who are free. See, what is the power that will enable us to submit in this way, to live these kinds of excellent lives? Peter says, by serving as those who are free. Look at verse 16. He says, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Now, I, I want to point something out here. I've done some technical things. I, I don't, you don't need to get bogged down at it. A better translation here would actually be, and if you is anyone read the Christian Standard Bible? Does anyone read that one? It's a, it's a good translation. I know, I pick on different translations from time to time. Uh, So here, the ESV, actually, it's it's not a great translation. The the CSB translates it better. Uh, Instead of live as people are free, submit as free people. It carries through the paradox. It sounds like a paradox. Submit as those who are free, right? Submit yourselves because God has freed you. We might ask, what is Christian freedom? This is Peter's argument. Do you, you want to know how to be enabled, how to be empowered to live lives of radical, supernatural submission to governing authorities, ultimately in submission to God for the sake of putting the gospel on display to the Gentile world, to the unbelieving world? How do you do that? He says, submit yourselves as those who are free. Recognize that you are free. What is this Christian freedom that he's talking about? Uh, one theologian says, at the heart of Christian freedom is this reality, that, quote, no person, No doubt, no earthly power can condemn us if God has declared us free in Christ. No earthly power can bind our conscience. This is Christian freedom. You see, he ties our freedom to the fact that we are no longer under condemnation. We no longer bear the guilt of our sin, and so our consciences are bound to God alone. Our freedom in Christ means both we have been freed from something, and freed to something we've been freed from the bondage of sin from the law of sin and death from the fear of death and we have been freed to live lives of service to the lord when you understand this freedom this is what will enable you to live these lives of humble submission you see uh, peter says this humble and, and submissive life will be empowered by the realization that apart from god's grace Listen, I'm gonna try and talk right to your hearts at this point. those, Those lives of humble submission will come when you realize that apart from God's grace, you were slaves to your sin. You were slaves to sin and therefore to death. You weren't as sinful as you could be But you could do nothing but sin because it wasn't just your actions. It wasn't just your hands working evil in the world. It was that. But the root of it was a heart that loved your sin more than you loved God. It was a heart that refused to submit to God and was literally hell-bent on going your own way. You were enslaved to the futility of your own idols. You thought that you were free because you had thrown aside the righteous rule of God over you. But when you did that, so we've all done this. We looked at the rule of God over us and we threw it aside and said, I'm going to go my own way. And we thought to ourselves, this is freedom. And yet the scripture says, the moment you did that, you enslaved yourself to sin. That's not real freedom. That's real slavery. You enslaved yourself to sin. You enslaved yourself to the pleasures you are constantly chasing. You enslaved yourself to the opinions of others that you're always uh, chasing after. You enslaved yourself to the affirmation of your parents and your teachers and your bosses and your friends. You enslaved yourselves to the accolades and the recognition that comes with achievement. Or maybe you you chased all those things. Maybe it was relationships. I don't know. Whatever it was for you. you, you you, you enslaved yourselves to, to this thing. You made something your God and said, and looked to it to save you. And, and maybe you got it. And you had the disappointing realization that it could never actually do for you what you thought it could. You realized that it was all futile. You may, maybe you got it and realized that it wasn't all it was cracked up to be, and so maybe you turned to to alcohol, to entertainment, to shopping, or to your next vacation to distract you from the disappointment of it all, and so you were enslaved. Do you see? you were a slave to sin. You see, in our sin, we have believed the lie that true freedom is to be loosed from the restraints of God's rule over our lives. That's what we think Freedom is. That's what, by the way, your culture and your society tells you true freedom is. To be loosed from authority. To be loosed from anyone over you telling you what to do. But apart from God's rule, we are enslaved. We think true freedom is not to have to submit to anyone, but to to be the captain of our own ship. But you know, when we are the captain of our own ship, there is only one conclusion. We're going to crash it into the rocks and sink to the bottom. And we've all done it. I've given you examples of this before. Do you remember the whale example from a couple weeks back? You know, the, the, the whale who, is, uh, who wants to be free and says, you know what? I'm tired of the shackles of water. I'm going to live outside the water. And you tell me, which whale, which whale is more free? The whale who embraces the restraints of living in the environment that God created it for, or the whale who decides I'm going to live on the shore away from the water. Which whale is more free? The godly whale. The godly whale that's right. <laughs> or, 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 what about this example? I, I remember growing up uh, that you know our teachers and and you know people who were kind of authorities in our lives. They were constantly telling us, you know, you could be whatever you want to be when you grow up. You know, if if you or like, you know, in the immortal words of Dr. Emmett Brown from Back to the Future, you know, Back to the Future. You know, if you put your mind to it, you can achieve anything. Like, really? Anything? Anything. You see, it, it doesn't matter how much or how bad I would like to be a starting point guard for the 76ers. That is not a possibility for me. I could want that down in my bones. It's never going to happen. And so, listen, who is more free? Is it the person that is really convinced he can do and be anything he wants and spends his life fighting against the way God has made him, constantly frustrated that that he can never seem to achieve his quote-unquote dreams, or... Is it the person who humbly embraces the skills and talents the Lord has given him and seeks to use them in a way to be a blessing to his fellow man? Which one is more free? That's right. And so look, what I'm trying to say is that true freedom, listen, true freedom is not the absence of restraint, but it is humble submission and service to God. And this is exactly what Christ came to do, to set us free from the bondage of our sin, from self-imposed slavery uh, b- because of our rebellion, and to set us free for service to God. And how does he do it? You, you think about how upside down the gospel is in the world's eyes. Jesus Christ comes into the world a king with, with, uh, with you know rightly all authority and all power, in it, and he's, he's the, the son of God. And yet he comes into the world in weakness, to submit and to serve, submitted to his heavenly father. The son of God comes into the world and takes on the role of a servant. You see, who who is the freest man that has ever lived? It's Jesus. And that's a man who lived his life in service to all. Do you want to know what true freedom is? Look at Christ, the freest man that ever lived. And he lives his life as a willing servant submitted to his father. Mark tells us, for even the Son of Man came into the world not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And on the the cross, he becomes that ransom. Part of his service to God, part of his submission to God, and part of his service to us. The main way in which he serves us is by going to the cross to die in our place. He willingly took all the penalty and the debt for your sin that was heaped upon his shoulders. Look, we we, we read in that passage, uh, do you remember from Psalm 75? Uh, It says, for in the hand of the Lord, there is a cup. With foaming wine well mixed, and he pours out from it, and all the wicked of the earth shall drain it down to its dregs. And do you know what? uh, God the Father holds out that cup to Jesus in the garden. On the night before he's crucified, he holds out that cup and he says, If you're going to submit to me, my call is to God the Father's call to the Son is submit to me, render to me a life of complete service and sacrifice. And what that means is you need to drink this cup. And you know what's in that cup? In that cup is all of the penalty and wrath and anger of God for your sin. There was no no penalty or judgment in there swirling around because of Jesus' sin. He had no sin. It was all your sin in that cup. The wrath of God. And he says, drink this. Look, do you realize that if you are here this morning and you are in Christ and you have the assurance of eternal life, you know the forgiveness of sins, it is because Jesus submitted himself to his Father and in submission to his Father, submitted to unjust, corrupt authorities who so were going to hang him on the cross. Do you realize that? And so he carries the cross so that you could be free of it. He carries the penalty and the weight of your sin to the cross so that you could be freed. So that your chains could be loosed. Do you, you remember in, um, you guys read the Pilgrim's Progress? Remember Christian? It's and the whole time he just has this load on his back. And he just can't seem to get rid of it. And do you know when he finally does get rid of it? It's when he stands, at the, he stands at the foot of the cross and this burden of law and sin finally roll, rolls off his shoulder into the grave, into the tomb. And he's finally free. And so it is for us. This is, this is what freedom is about. To stand at the foot of the cross and see Christ bearing the full weight of your sin and your judgment. And do you know why he goes to the cross? Do you know how he gets there? He gets there by submitting himself to unjust, cruel, corrupt governing authorities as an expression of his submission to God the Father. In just a few moments, we're going to witness three baptisms which signify the work God has done to free us from the penalty and the stain of our sin. And as they are plunged into the water, it signifies the way in which God's grace in Christ, through his life and death and resurrection, has washed us clean from all of our guilt. And as they come up from the water, it signifies new life and the freedom they now have to live lives of service to him. You know, one of my favorite movie scenes of all time is at the end of the Shawshank Redemption. Andy Dufresne has been wrongfully in prison. He's been put in prison uh, for murder. He's innocent. And yet he 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 is in this, you know, top security prison, but he escapes. And the way he escapes is by crawling through this sewage pipe that is five football fields long and so for for 500 yards he has to crawl through excrement and filth and just stuff that is just so disgusting for 500 yards he has to crawl through and then finally at the end of the pipe he climbs out he kind of like dumps out into a pond and it's raining it's pouring rain and and you see and there's this scene where the rain washes all of the filth and all of the dirt away and it's this metaphor it's this metaphor that not only is the, the dirt, like the excrement being washed away from him, but this, this former life of being in prison, this wrongful uh, you know, imprisonment, it's all washed away from him, and now he's finally free. It's a wonderful picture of what happens in baptism, except there's one big difference. The big difference is, you know, Andy Dufresne was innocent. We are not. We, we belong in the prison. For all eternity, we belong to be covered in the filth and the excrement of our own sin. We, we deserve to bear the weight and the punishment of our sin. Here's the other difference. We don't crawl through the sewage pipe to get to our freedom. Jesus crawls through it for us. He crawls through the excrement and the filth of our sin so that we might experience freedom through his life and his death and his resurrection. And that's exactly what baptism represents, that all our dirt has been washed away forever, and finally we are free. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. And, and through his death, we are free, freed, freed from sin. And Peter says, freed for service. He says, not using your freedom as a cover up for evil, but living as servants of God. We have not been freed, as Paul would say, to submit again to a yoke of slavery, to live again under the bondage of our re- rebellion, but we have been freed to serve God, to render to him lives of sacrifice and service. This is our freedom, this is our joy. You can actually translate that word servants there as slave. True freedom, if you don't get anything, true freedom is to become a slave of God. It's a paradox. True freedom is to become a slave of God. One pastor helpfully says it this way. He says, true freedom is not self-love. That's our culture. It's not self-hate, It's the other side of the coin. No, true freedom is self-forgetfulness. True freedom is is when you let go of self altogether, that you are captured by a sight of the beauty of God in Christ because of the work he's done for you, and now your thoughts don't go to self anymore. They go to him, and a longing and desire to serve him and see him lifted up and see him glorified. That's true freedom. And so when you have this assurance, brothers and sisters, when you have this assurance that you are not condemned but welcomed and accepted by the ultimate king, then finally you are free. You are free to live your whole life in joyful obedience to him. And if that means submitting to the earthly authorities for the sake of the gospel, advancing in the world, so be it, praise God. And if it means defying the governing authorities because they've ordered you to sin against God, then so be it, because if God is for me, then who can be against me? What can man do to me? You are no longer a slave to fear Your conscience is no longer bound to man's opinions of you, but your conscience is bound to God. And if you stand before Him fully justified and approved, what in all the world can threaten you? And so you are free to submit. You are free to live lives of humble submission. And so, brothers and sisters, live as those who are free. You are free. If the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. Do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but use your freedom to serve God as you live in this world. Submit to earthly authorities for the Lord's sake, that all might see your excellent way of life, and so that through you, God might bring many, many more to faith, all for the glory of his name. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you that we have freedom, true freedom. Not 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 a fake false freedom, but a real freedom to live the lives you have created us for, lives of service and sacrifice to you, lives that are take our eyes off self and 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 fix our eyes on you, who who is infinitely beautiful and worthy and 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 uh blessed and and, and honorable. Lord, this is true freedom that we would render to you, lives of sacrifice and service. So Lord, Uh, We pray that you would would humble us, that you would help us to live these lives of submission as we stand at the foot of the cross, see the burden of our weight and sin rolling off into the tomb and therefore empowered to render to you and to the earthly authorities you have put in place humble submission for the glory of your name, for the advance of the gospel. Would you do this through us in our lives for your renown, for your uh, magnification in this world? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.